Hey guys, it's your host, Jumi Moses, and welcome to Award to the Wise, a weekly podcast where I drop some knowledge and tips on how to combat obstacles in your life and become the best version of yourself. I also discuss ways to develop compassion, empathy, and growth in the direction of love and acceptance for all. I promise you, it's positive vibes only. All of my Nike clothes, wrist is froze, hardest don't go, superstar lifestyle, nobody can feel relate. All of my girls, them hoes, guys, them rogues, God is not a man, no, no, no. Only Lord save my soul from fire. fire, fire Only notes I wanna read is Naira. I got a drive, don't need a rider. These people want deflate my tire. Not love. Delete them, delete them. Delete every virus from my system. Never let your boy fall victim. No, 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 no. Delete them, delete them. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Award to the Wise podcast. You were just listening to the song of the week, which is Can't Relate by Omale. Make sure you check out the show notes if you want the details to that song. So guys, I have a question for you. Have you been feeling, I don't know, blah lately? Well, on today's show, I will be speaking with Dr. Mark Golston, who will let you know exactly why you may be feeling this way. For those of you who may remember, Mark has already been on the show before. To be very specific, he was on episode 17, talking to crazy, how to deal with irrational people in your life. If you have not checked out that episode, I'll be linking it into the show notes for you to check out. Originally a UCLA professor of psychiatry for over 25 years and a former FBI and police hostage negotiation trainer, Dr. Mark Golston's expertise has been forged and proven in the crucible of real-life high-stakes situations. He calls himself an influencer who helps influencers become more influential. His unique background has made him an indispensable and sought-after resource and change facilitator to Fortune 500 leaders, entrepreneurs, and educators across the nation. He is the host of the podcast, My Wake Up Call, and the author of several best-selling books, Just listen, Real Influence, Talking to Crazy, and Get Out of Your Own Way. So I'm so excited about my discussion with Mark because we're going to be talking about how people are feeling post the pandemic. He believes most people are feeling a sense of blah, or like the term Adam Grant from the New York Times used in his article on post-pandemic blues, languishing which means to feel joyless and aimless. So in our episode, Mark breaks down why we're feeling this way. He also talks about the four feelings we tend to operate from and why we need to put words to the other feelings and emotions we feel. We also get into the topic of social media and how it affects our ability to connect with one another and ourselves. We also get into the stigma of expressing our struggles with mental health and ways to recover if you've hit a really low point. 
and trust me so much more they're just so many gems in today's episode and part of the reason i really love talking to mark is because he's such an awesome storyteller and i truly have no doubt that you're going to learn a lot from today's episode so if you're someone that likes to take notes while you're listening i a hundred percent encourage you to have your notepad out because let's just say that Mark has several exercises and assignments for us to do in our daily lives. Here's my conversation with Mark. Lately, uh, people have been talking about uh, COVID and yes, you know, how, how do you switch gears and there's burnout and and yes. instead of and why is it that people who should be feeling excited feel blah. And yeah. they're, they're having trouble getting energized. And how can people energize themselves? Yes. No, that's honestly, I'm so happy that you brought that up because I can 100% relate to that. And I talk to my friends and this is something that is really on a lot of their minds, not just feeling blah, but also feeling like what really is my purpose in life? Because, you know, maybe the job that I, I thought I needed to be pursuing, I shouldn't be pursuing that. So I guess I, I'm going to start off with that question mark. So how, what advice do you have to people, especially young people, um, millennials or the Gen Z? I can't even keep up with all these different like segmentations that, that people have. What advice do you give to them when they come to you talking about being burnt out from COVID and just not really having a sense of direction and just feeling really blah? Well, the, fir the first thing I do is I try to tell them, I explain to them why they're feeling this way, because People are getting vaccinated, people are taking masks off and people should be partying and they're just they're just feeling low energy. So what I tell people is if if you ever had to go through final exams, a week of final exams and you, you pulled all nighters and you took Adderall, whatever it was to make it through. When you finish, instead of being excited, you want to collapse. Yes. And so imagine that COVID has been like one long lasting period of final exams. Mm. And what allowed us to cope with it is when we feel stressed and endangered, we get we, we get adrenaline. You know, adrenaline is not just for excitement and fun. It's when we feel in danger. And what happens is adrenaline can keep us focused or it can keep us help us make it through a war zone or a pandemic zone. But then as the danger goes away, the adrenaline goes away. And the adrenaline is something that insulates us from really how badly we're feeling because we're just trying to survive. We can't let down. And NBA players can play on a broken leg without even knowing it because the adrenaline rush you know, makes them, distracts them from the pain. So if you can think of everything we had to do to make it through each, each day. Also, we were in close company with our family and we love our family, but we drive each other crazy. You know, we, uh, you know, when we moved away as millennials, we want to go home to visit. We don't want to stay there. And we get irritable, but we don't want to jump down our parents' throats. And they don't know what right. to do. And so that, that creates even more stress. 
So now what's happened is as the danger goes away, the adrenaline high goes away and we're exhausted. Now, here's a key to how, how do you get it back? Well, one of the things that actually makes us feel better is having a purpose and, and community, connecting with other people. Mm. So a couple of things that are going on that go against that is as we've gone through this, and this has been kind of like a war, and we haven't really been in a war since World War II. Vietnam affected a small amount of the population, but even that was a long time ago. Millennials don't know anything about that. And I, and I think what's happened is as we watch this and we watched on the news and we saw all the, the deaths and the uh, the Black Lives Matters and the protests and you know all the anger, I think what it's also caused people to do is wonder, you know, is anything that I am, am I doing anything that's meaningful? Yeah. You know, am I just running into activity just to keep busy? Right. And, and I think what's happened is a lot of people are questioning that. You know, does anything that I do really matter? Whereas before, it didn't matter if it mattered as long as it was exciting, exactly. you know, because excitement was a way to run away from boredom. And uh, I'll, I'll, sh I'll share an anecdote uh, and then I'll try and weave it back into this. Um, so a year and a half ago, I was part of a panel at Hollywood High School, how to deal with stress and anxiety. This was before COVID. And there was a panel of uh, life coaches. There was a I think a school psychologist in me and I was the old goat on that. And so this was in the lunchroom, the cafeteria of Hollywood high school. I think they only came there because of the pizza. And so the other panelists are talking about anxiety and stress and whatnot, and they're pretty informative, but you can tell these high schoolers are getting restless. Yeah. I mean, I think they'd been speaking for about 45 minutes or an hour and it's after school and so a picture this, there's 40 kids in, in a cafeteria with chairs facing the panel. And I said, I want to try something different because these are great explanations of stress and anxiety and what you can do. I want to do, I want to do an experiment. I want each of you to think of the worst time, the worst moment you had in the last week, mm. raise your hand when you can, when you're there. And they looked at me like a deer in the headlights. They said, no, I'm not kidding. I think it'll turn out okay. Trust me on this. And so one by one, they raised their hands. And then I said, I'm going to give you a bunch of words. And I'm going to ask each of you to speak aloud. We'll go right you know, across each row from my left uh, to my right. And attach the word that fits to when you felt awful. Mm. And the words were, Anxious, depressed, frustrated, angry, overwhelmed, numb, alone, lonely, wow. tired. And, and so one by one, they said the word. Hmm. Afraid. Angry. Lonely. Overwhelmed. And... What happened is you could feel the whole room flex. Mm. So I'm watching them. And then I said to them, and this is where I get back to the topic here. 
And I said, how did that feel better? How, how did that feel? And they said, oh, that felt better. I said, why? I gave, those are all negative words. Anxious, angry, frustrated, oh, you know, wow. depressed. Right. And they said, I didn't feel alone. Mm. I felt like I belonged. I felt relief. Some people were crying. And I said, and here's your challenge. And if you're listening in and you're one of Jumi's regular followers, this may apply to you, even though you're older than high school. And I said to the high schoolers, there are four emotions that you live on and only four. Mm. Excitement, boredom, fear, anger. That's it. Wow. You want to be excited because you hate boredom. Uh, You can get frightened by certain things. You know, you didn't study for a test. You're going to fail it or something. And you get angry. And I said, what you just experienced was different and it felt better. Mm. And what you just felt was you felt connected to other people and you bared your neck. Nobody judged you. And then I asked them, how many of you feel like you're in a group of very special people? Mm. They all raised their hand. And I said, I hate to tell you this, but you're no more special than you were an hour ago. I mean, you're still the same. But what happened is you shared a special moment. And and you didn't judge each other. You felt relieved. Mm. And I told them, I said, here's your homework assignment. Write down the words. Uh, when you're with friends, say, you know, this crazy psychiatrist spoke at the cafeteria on stress and anxiety. And you know, when you have a friend who you're worried about, say, um, uh, you know, I want to try an experiment with you. You're my friend. Uh, what was? The, uh, tell me about the worst moment you had in the last week. And then your friend will tell you. And then you say, put a, uh, which of these words fits it? Now, when you're having a conversation with that friend, they give you the word. And then what you say is, uh, how intense was it? How intense was the anxiety? How intense was it? How angry were you? Mm. How overwhelmed were you? And they're going to be opening up more and more. And then what you want to say to your friends is, take me to when you felt it. Mm. Because, see, when they felt it, they felt it all alone. And when they tell you about where it was and when it was, they refeel it, but they're not alone. They're with you. Mm. And why I'm bringing this up is because as people feel like this has been a prolonged period of final exams and people are just exhausted, the last thing people want to do is connect with people. They're tired. They want to collapse. They want to be left alone. And so what I'm sharing is when you can do the exact opposite Mm-hmm. So I think rather than doing this, we should do it with each other. So Jumi. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, you can do it, Jumi. Come on, you trust okay. me. So, okay. so you know, look, you don't, have to, you don't have to pick something where they're going to call the ambulances on you. But okay. you know, in the last year, you know, during this pandemic, you know, talk about a time that, you know, it's a rough time and, you know, and, you know, since you're someone who gets through everything, you probably believed you were going to get through it, but you didn't know how. Mm. And just share it. Look, I'm a shrink. You're safe. Your listeners are going to love it. And I'll share one of mine. Okay. Um, well, I'll share mine first. So you can, you can start.
all. So, um, okay. You know, I was a suicide specialist for many years. I'm, I'm, I'm retired. I'm still licensed and I, and, and I speak around, I guess the world on suicide prevention. Someone reached out to me maybe since we uh, last spoke because his 14 year old son died by suicide and he made a documentary and, and we're doing presentations to uh, entrepreneurial groups. There's a group called EO entrepreneurs organization. And so he shares his story and I talk to the people, they bring their spouses. Sometimes they bring their teens and we talk about how, how as a family you can get through this, you know, and, you know, and I think some of the roughest time for me is uh, because I don't see people one on, I don't see suicidal people anymore because I'm retired. So I'm not even licensed, but I will help parents or help groups. And I'll tell you when, when parents start to open up about how scared they are, mm. and one of their kids is not, is not going to make it. That's hard. Um, even though I'm pretty good at this, you know, I, I just felt, I just felt for them. Mm. And it was interesting and in how I got through it and something we may have shared in the last time we spoke. I have something I call the dead mentors club. So I have eight mentors. They've all died. The last one was Larry King. I had breakfast with them every day for two years before COVID with a group of people. And so when I'm doubting myself, I call up one of my dead mentors mm. and and I just remember them. I remember them really believing in me when I didn't, you know, thinking I could get through this. Yeah. And they talked me down. And see, what's happening is I'm reaching out to them. They're connecting with me. And just like what happened at Hollywood High School, I just feel their belief in me and their love in me, love towards me mm-hmm. from the grave. And I, I even now, I'm, I'm, I can feel it. You know, that, wow, they believed in me. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so I can take that in and it helped me make it through. So what was the time for you, Jumi? Okay, that's a that's a very good question. I think there have been moments over the last year, um, especially with the pandemic. I live by myself um, that I felt very, very alone. Mm -hmm. Um just feeling like I, and I know it sounds weird because I have a lot of wonderful people in my life, um, great family and friends, great support system, but I felt, and sometimes I really do feel very alone um, and feeling like I don't really have someone to talk to and just struggling with this whole idea of, you know, my future. And um, I, I, just didn't know how to put it into words because I know that you're saying and and you can probably hear from me right now I struggle with putting it into words as well but that was a very difficult thing to to grapple with or so I want to try I want to try something you mostly trust me yes so I'm going to give you the words and just see if you can feel them as you say them okay and then let's see where we get with it I'm not going to leave you hanging out on a limb 
and we're friends, so you can call me Mark, Dr. Mark. You just call me Mark. Okay. <laughs> and I want you to lean into it and try and feel it. So I want you to say these words. Mark, there are times when I felt all alone, and I intellectually knew I had friends and I'd get through it. But Mark, I couldn't make the hurt go away. Mm. I just couldn't make it go away. And intellectually knowing I'd get through it, it just, I mean, it went away. I'm here to tell you the story. Yeah. But I couldn't make the hurt go away. Yeah. So can you lean into that and say that back to me and remember time? It'll be okay. Yeah. Mark, although I knew that I would be fine and I would get through the pain, in that moment, I was in a lot of pain. Kind of felt like I was in a dark room. And um, I was in a room where nobody would sit with me. That's what it felt like. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to come out of that room. And how much did the pain hurt? It hurt really bad. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, tell me if you try this on. And thank you for sharing that, not just with me, but with your listeners. Because people could feel it. And it was interesting, as you were sharing it, you didn't use the word hurt until I afterwards till I said, how much did that hurt? And there's something about just saying and just feeling it, it hurt a lot. <laughs> and and I was just there with it. And and there was no, no one to talk to. And I'm not even sure how I would have talked to them. I'm not even sure we have the vocabulary. If people are listening in, and this is touching a nerve, my guess is there's a part of you that would say, I wouldn't even know the words. I just, you know, I could be hurting way, way deep inside because I don't know the words and they don't know the words. They'd say, how are you doing? And I'd say, I'm fine. I'm okay. And yeah. they'd know and I know that I'm not. But we don't have the words. Yeah. And I and I say this all the time. And I, and I used to be, and I used to think it was weird. And, I, and I've said this to my friends and, you know, some of my family members that I, I feel like I can't articulate sometimes how I'm feeling because it just won't really encompass what I'm feeling. And I think that's what kind of adds to the loneliness because it's like, I can't describe how I'm feeling. So there's really no way for you to get it probably. But the, the truth is, what I'm realizing is that a lot of people probably feel the same way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just something like I was struggling with in, in verbalizing or being able to really put it into words. Because it, it sounds, like I said, intellectually, I'm like, well, I have great people around me. Why do I feel lonely? Or why do I feel so bad um, or so defeated? And, but that would, that didn't stop the hurt. That didn't stop the feelings I was actually feeling. So you make a great point. There's a fellow I heard speak. His name is Martin Lindstrom. He's brilliant. He's brilliant, smart, and caring. 
He has a new book out called The Ministry of Common Sense. I mean, he's one of the top uh, marketing and branding people in the world. Mm. I think he's from Denmark. Uh, uh, and, and I heard him speak. And he said, uh, algorithms are killing empathy. Mm. You know, and if you think about it, the people who lead the big tech companies are probably, and they wouldn't argue with this, on the spectrum. Mm. Not full-blown autistic, but on the spectrum. Zuckerberg, Musk, Bezos, uh, Sundar Pakai from uh, Google. Um, yeah, and, and what happens is, because they're on the spectrum, they don't necessarily know how to get close emotionally but they know how to figure out algorithms. And, oh boy, it's amazing how you can look at human behavior and you figure out an algorithm. And gee, if we can match the human behavior to the products and services, we're going to sell a lot of stuff. But our leaders are not full human beings. They're incredibly successful. Look, look at the stuff that's happening that's coming out about Bill Gates, mm. you know, recently. And... And I think the challenge, and I think Martin Lindstrom is right, is that is that uh, people who are the tech giant geniuses, Steve Jobs, you know, uh, all these people, is they, they've kind of, you know what it's like? It's like the Pied Piper leading us down the road of artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, and may and, and and to them. Closeness doesn't matter because I think they're good people. They're geniuses, but they don't do closeness. Mm. They do accomplishment. Yeah. And what happens is it is like the Pied Piper. I mean, we're all following that. But and 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 sometimes, and I think COVID really just stressed us out. You know, yeah. you know, something just not right. And I don't care what the algorithm is, I don't care what AI says, it just it's a hurt that won't go away. Right. And I think it's because uh, Martin Lindstrom is right, is that we've, we, we're sort of worshiping at the foot of technology, speed, uh, excitement. But if we don't feel close to other people, we can stop feeling close to ourselves, mm. And we don't even know what's going on. That is powerful. That is powerful. Tell me if you can relate to this because you're a little bit younger, but uh, on my podcast, my wake up call, I, I interviewed a fellow named Chip Conley. He's pretty well known. He started a hotel chain called Joie de Vivre. He sold it and then he went to Airbnb. Oh, wow. And he talks about it quite openly on a, our episode of my wake up call. And he said he reached a point where he had all the money that he needed, but five of his friends died by suicide. He felt suicidal. Oh, and uh, and he actually pivoted and he has something called the Modern Elder Academy, you know, which is for older people who who aren't in the game anymore. Mm -hmm. They don't they've kind of they don't know what their identity is. They weren't that great at getting close to anyone. So the Modern Elder Academy is something that used to do retreats in uh, uh, maybe Baja. Uh, Baja, California, or some someplace just in Mexico, south of California. And one, and he said he was addicted to achievement. Mm. And but but it felt 
meaningless and empty, you know, and, and he didn't need to be more successful because he was hugely successful. Right. And so, so tell me if this lands for you. And I said, it's possible that you have something I call disavowed yearning. Mm -hmm. And he said, what does that mean? And I said, you know, when before we're born and we're in the womb, we're totally connected, totally connected to our mom, our wishes, her command. But then when we get born, it's a rude awakening. You know, we need something. Jesus not coming. We cry. And it's not just food. It's we need a connection. Yeah. You know, we're not connected physiologically. And, and there is a yearning to reconnect that completeness. And I asked Chip, I said, is it possible that, you know, that you wanted to have that sense of completeness at your core, but it wasn't to be had because, you know, your parents were busy or, you know, well, they did the best they could, or maybe they weren't particularly great parents. But the point is that connection, so you could continue to feel solid, wasn't there. But if you convinced yourself you didn't need it, so that's why we call it disavowed yearning. Oh, if I can convince myself I don't need it, and guess what? I just happened on achievement. That is pretty neat. I can yeah. achieve things. I get rewards. People smile at me. They say, oh, this is great. You're great. Oh, you got an A or you hit a home run. Oh, this is terrific. And you can convince yourself that that will make up for that yearning for that completeness that wasn't to be had. And you convinced yourself you didn't need it. Now, there are some people who don't too, do too well convincing themselves that they don't need it. And they'll turn to drugs. Yeah. They won't be high achievers. The, um, in fact, some years ago, I remember someone saying that drugs, this person said, we're all orphans and drugs are the new parents mm. because cocaine and Adderall is the you can do it from that courageous dad and opiates and marijuana and downers is the warmth from a mom that says, I, oh, oh, honey, I'm holding you. It'll be okay. And, and you could manage that lack of connection by, well, if I got to pump myself up, I'll take some Adderall, I'll do Coke. And oh, if I want to just feel warmth and collapse, I'll do alcohol and yeah. uh, marijuana. And, 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 and you can convince yourself, at least the drug addicts, I'm pretty complete as long as I'm taking my drugs. Right. Of course, they become powerless and they stop achieving and they throw their life down the drain. That is a very, very great point, because I also try I, I, I have this conversation internally and then with some of the people in my life. Essentially, what you're saying or what I'm understanding or what I've thought about before in the past is this addiction to constantly being stimulated by something whether it's your job or you're watching something, you always want to feel something. And when you're not feeling something, it feels like you're bored or you're missing something or like you're, there's some emptiness there or you're, you're alone. And can, can you speak to that a little bit? Oh, yeah, because, because see, what's happened years ago, so dopamine is pleasure. Most people know that you know, dopamine is pleasure and we're kind yeah. of, we all want to have high dopamine and that's a natural thing. Years ago, uh, a couple things created pleasure. Well, probably more than a couple things, but 
adrenaline excitement creates pleasure. Yeah. But oxytocin, which is which is the hormone of connectedness, it's what a, a new mother feels towards a screaming infant and still loves that little baby, even though the baby's screaming. It, it's right. powerful. And once upon a time, oxytocin led to dopamine, closeness, intimacy, and adrenaline led to dopamine, excitement. But what's happened is, as I said, the people that are guiding us and leading us don't do oxytocin. Mm. You know, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, uh, Bezos, Musk, Zuckerberg, they don't do closeness. Yeah. But they do do adrenaline because they love a new gadget. Mm. They love speed, uh, the speed of technology. Yeah. And um, and so I think what's happened is we have sort of followed them. And we've lost the ability to to create closeness between us and other people. Yeah. Like we said earlier, we don't even have the vocabulary. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And, and neither of you are fine, but you don't know how to feel it together or talk it through. Right. Yeah. So does that make sense? Kind of? Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And I also think um, there's there's also a sense of judgment in our culture. Like, for example, if you tell somebody that I feel really unmotivated, I don't, you know, I I, I don't know, this is dramatic. I want to stop working or I just don't understand the point of life. I don't know if I have a purpose or you're trying to express yourself sometimes. And sometimes there might be judgment from other people. Well, you should have it figured out. For example, if you go on LinkedIn, for example, you see everybody like they're getting a new job, they're posting about it, they're going to a new school. And it seems like people are always doing, 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 doing. So when you do tell people that you're feeling some type of way, they still expect you to be doing, you know, you can't really fully tell somebody, you know, I'm feeling some type of way. I actually want to decompress for like two months. I think sometimes part of the reason why people don't fully express themselves is also because there's a sense of judgment of not wanting to do anything or feeling like you should be doing something when you're content or satisfied in your present situation. Um, I, I know that was a lot, but I hope you understand what I'm, I'm, I'm oh, trying to say. There's a, there's a, what you're saying is there's a stigma. Yes. And if you say that, and, and it's interesting. So since we last spoke, I've been busy during COVID. I published two books. That's pretty productive for an yeah. old guy like me. And, and one of them was called Why Cope When You Can Heal, How Healthcare Heroes of COVID-19 Can Recover from PTSD. Mm. And then a more recent one is called Trauma to Triumph, a roadmap for leading through disruption and thriving on the other side. So why cope when you can heal? Uh, we made I made a mistake because what I didn't figure on is the stigma within the healthcare system and, and with veterans. They're hurting, but they don't want to, for the very reasons you're saying, they don't want to bring it up. Mm. And the heads of hospitals don't want to know about, I mean, they know it's a problem and they will say the right things, but they're under pressure because the heads of hospitals, most hospitals are owned by corporations. Mm -hmm. And you go into that corporation, they don't even know about, they've been patients, but they don't think about patient care and they don't think about burnout. They think about how many beds, you know, did, what's our census, you know, uh, uh, and, if we're, and, and if we're not filling the beds, let's lay people off. Too much of an expense. And then if the ERs and the ICUs get filled, let's bring them back in. 
and 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 so uh, the mistake was we didn't realize about the stigma. Mm. So why cope when you can heal? Is how do you heal by making it safe to express what you think and what you felt going through hell? Mm. And and when you express it to other people and they don't judge you and they share the same thing, you can heal from coming together like that. But people are hesitant to bring that up because there's a, they're afraid they'll be judged because they judge themselves. Yeah. There must be something wrong with me. Why aren't I stronger? Geez, why can't I be grateful? Why can't I focus on all the good things? Geez, I have it so much better than other people. Stop feeling sorry for myself. So there's a lot of shame about admitting it to yourself. And there's a lot of stigma yeah. about it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think the only way around that is for people to be talking about it, but it's not that easy. I'll, I'll tell you, there's something I'm working on. Uh, you know, you'll have me back on uh, uh, about six months. So I'm partnering with the top psychiatrist in all of India. Oh, he wow. is, he is the Sanjay Gupta of mental health in India. Awesome. And I, I think I can share this without giving too much away. Uh, India is moving towards making mental health screening compulsory for the country. That's amazing. You know, because India, you know, even though they like capitalism, they're spiritual. Very spiritual. You know, and, and people's pain and hurt, they don't, they don't treat it the way Americans do because they're yeah. spiritual. They don't disregard it. Yeah. Right. And so uh, and so there's a screening tool that this uh, friend of mine and I, we created, and that's going to be the tool that's going to be used mm. in all of India. So we're working on now the infrastructure. And then if it works, we'll take it to the United States. But I told them, I say, they're different countries, Very you know, uh, Indians. Uh, don't feel the same sense of stigma and shame. They still do, but they're, they, they're more open about talking about suffering. And yet I will tell you, I, I've spoken in India, in Mumbai, Delhi, and Bangalore. And I actually wrote about it. I said, Indians are much happier than Americans. Mm. And it's because they're so used to having nothing that just the littlest bit of anything they appreciate. Was right. was with Americans more isn't enough. I need more. I need more because That's we have quote. Yeah, we have to feed the adrenaline junkie, the excitement yeah. junkie. Yeah, I'm curious, Mark. You know, you, you you talk about in India, there's not much of a stigma, not as much of a stigma with mental health, and they're more open about it. Do you, have you found that the men are as open as the women when it comes to mental health? I know um, that. Um, I mean, just from studies that I've 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 come across here in the U.S., I know that men struggle a lot harder to express their feelings and talk about their mental health than women do. So I wonder if in India, yeah, no, no, it, it, there's balance. a, uh, and I'll tell you, here's a little bit of a, uh, I'm sure one of your listeners is going to say he was full of hot air with this one, but I'll mention it anyway. Uh, years ago, I was talking about. One of the differences between male minds and female minds mm. 
is between our left and right brain, and people kind of know that the left brain is our analytical brain, the right brain is our emotional brain. What connects the two is something called the corpus callosum. Mm. It's, you know, it's like a connector. It's a, it's yeah. a fiber. It's considerably thicker in women than men. So what that means is men's brains are separated. And you can understand that. If you're in a war and your best friend just got blown up, literally, you got to get back and report, you know, the enemy is chasing us. You can't stay there and cry over it. You got to get back. So, so men's brains are separated. The left and right brain are separated. And what's happened, as I said, as we follow the lead, the tech giants, their left brain is much bigger than their right brain. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the left side solutions, AI algorithms. And where it used to be with women is, see, when you have a thicker connection between the left and right brain, women can go fluidly between thinking and emotions more fluidly. Now, a lot of men will say, well, they don't think that often. No, women are incredibly practical. Around the home and family, boy, I try. Uh, in fact, I will tell you, uh, uh, I co-authored these two books with this wonderful woman, Diana Handel. She was the CEO of a hospital uh, where on the 100th day of being CEO, an employee of the month came in and killed his two supervisors and himself. And she led the hospital through it. And she's like, she's like Angela Merkel or Jacinda Ardern. I mean, she is wonderful. So when Harper Collins came to me and said, you know, we're thinking of you writing a couple books, you know, you, you know, you're one of our kind of favorite authors and, and they're not big books. They're 110 pages, quickie books. And I said, well, I'm only going to do them with Diana Handel. And so I introduced the world to Diana Handel. She had a book called Responsible, a memoir, which was self-published, but she just won me over because it talks about her leading the hospital through the double murder-suicide. Uh, and she led the hospital back to financial and psychological soundness. Wow. And then when it was sound financially and psychologically, I'll never forget it. She said, uh, the hospital was healthy and it deserved a healthy CEO, and I wasn't. Mm. So I, I resigned to go treat my, what I didn't realize I had, I had PTSD because mm -hmm. I'd be on the grounds. I'd walk past where the murders took place. And, uh, but I think women are more connected between their left and right brain. I think it's changed now because mm -hmm. women are trying to compete as men and it's their loss and our loss. Yeah, I women think are good that. enough. You're good enough as the, as is. You're more than good enough. So, based on what we started the conversation with about people feeling very blah, right, and like burnt out, and just you know this whole idea of like having gone through a war, aka COVID, and now just feeling like what's next, or just needing like a break. How do you advise people to like push past that feeling of blah or exhaustion or burnout and kind of just kind of get back into the rhythm? There's a, it's a bunch of tactics you can do, you know, to not just recover from PTSD, but begin to heal from it. Mm -hmm. And so why coping you can heal begins you in the path of healing 
by beginning to name and feel the feelings. And one of the one of the uh, tools we have there is called the stress relief exercise in journal. Okay. And what that looks like, um, and I actually have one, uh, and in it, I have a picture of my first mentor who probably saved my life in medical school. We're not going to get into it in this one, but you know, I, I, I you know, I, I dropped out of medical school twice and finished, probably for untreated wow. depression. And the school wanted to kick me out because they were losing money. But the dean of students saw something special in me that I didn't see, and the school didn't. And he stood up for me against the medical school. Wow. He said, we're going to keep this one. Because mm. I wasn't flunking. I was just, I think I had untreated depression. Yeah. And he went to bat for me. He said, he has something that we that the world needs. He just doesn't know it. Mm. So he changed everything. And, I have a, and so I have a stress relief exercise journal. And I have a picture of Dean McNary, Dean of Students. Wow. And whenever I'm feeling tweaked, whenever I'm feeling upset, whenever I'm feeling disappointed, I have these prompts in it. And, and, and this little journal is only for this. And so if you're listening in, get a little journal. Uh, probably we could do that. We could probably create a mobile app for this, but that's above my pay grade. Uh, I'm sure we could do it easily. Turn it around, but picture this picture, that person who cared about you, believed in you living or dead. Doesn't even have to be someone, you know, if you're a teenager, LeBron James would say this to you or Steph Curry. And so imagine this is what that person says when you've been tweaked and, uh, and so imagine that person saying to you, write down the, write down the date and time, because, you know, you know you're going to have this journal forever. So you write down the date and time, and then they say to you, what happened? And you write down in a couple sentences, blah, 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 blah. And then the second, the next thing you do is they say, uh, what did you think when it happened? And then the next thing is, what did you feel? Mm-hmm. I felt lost felt hurt. And then the next thing is your impulse. What did it make you want to do? Hmm. I was just tempted to run away. I was just tempted to just fold everything and just quit and try something else because it all just seemed pointless. And so you imagine that person speaking to you and then they say, uh, take a deep breath and you hear their voice and you hear that voice of your mother, your grandma, that mentor. And you hear their voice saying, do you do me? You know, I love you. Mm. You know, I believe in you. And then the next thing they say to you after you take a few breaths is what would be a better thing to do? And actually the better thing to do is, see, I can remember any of those dead mentors and they're believing in me when I didn't. They're loving me when I didn't love me. And what happens is I, I just start to feel so lucky. Mm. I can picture them. I picture things, uh, you know, how they stood up for me. And so when they say to me, what would be a better thing to do? I say, it's remembering those people and just feeling lucky to have someone who cared about me when, who thought that I uh, was worth something when I didn't, who believed in me when I didn't. And so that's the better thing to do. 
And then if they were to say, why is that a better thing to do? Because I just got a burst of oxytocin. Mm. It's a, why is this better? Because I just felt the closeness that we had. Mm. And I just felt that you actually cared about me. Mm. And I'm just feeling how lucky I was. And, and then I lean into and, and I miss you. But can you follow how that's different than uh, other ways of trying to get through? No, that Mark, this is so powerful. I mean, I'm eating all of this up. I'm definitely going to apply this, you know, into my practice. Luckily for me, I can think about like two or three people in my life that I could kind of write a journal entry to. And luckily they're alive for me. So we thank God for that. But no, that that was I felt that burst of oxygen oxytocin, I think. I hope I'm saying that right. I felt that. So this that's that's a very powerful tool. So, so, so here's the, but I have a homework assignment for you. Okay. Because they're alive. And by the way, if you create, if you're listening in and you create one of these journals, I have the same homework assignment. Uh, contact that person if they're still alive or they're next of kin. And what you say to that person, and Jumi, I want you to do this and text me back how it went. Okay. You could say, and you reach out to them and you give them a power thank you. And a power thank you has three parts. Mm. And it's interesting. One of the things that I do to change cultures, one of the way, and if you could do this every day, you won't be able to keep it up. But when I've worked with companies to change cultures, I said for one week, Every morning when you wake up, the first thing I want you to do is to think of someone you're grateful to in your life, and you're going to send them a video, a selfie, and you're going to say to them, uh, you know, I woke up today and I was feeling a little down, and instead of feeling down, I thought of who I was grateful to. And I thought of you. You do this on a video on your selfie and you send it to them. And what I'm grateful to you about. So if I were to send it to any of the next of kin of these dead mentors, probably should do it is. Um, if it was the first one, I think your dad might have saved my life. Mm. So what I would say to you is, <clears throat> if you do this for a week, think of people and, and if you pick the right people, they're not going to say, you know, you never call, you never write, who cares? You're going to pick different people. You're going to say, I was feeling down, or I was just, I just wanted to think of who I'm grateful to. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful to you. This is what you did. This is how you went out of your way to do it. Right. And this is what it personally meant to me. And, uh, and, and you can even say to the person, you know, and take good care and even though we're not in contact, I love you. Thank you, Mark. That was awesome. And you, you know, you've been dropping so much wisdom throughout the whole podcast, but you know, this is a word to the wise. And my final question for you is if you have any, <laughs> if you're not all like, if you haven't run out already, final words of wisdom to the listeners. Okay. So I collect quotes and I had three killer quotes, but one just blew them all away. 
Okay. Uh, you'll like you'd like the other quotes, but this one blew them away. And there's someone I met named Dr. Shawnee. It's a woman, Shawnee Duperon. Okay. And she has a uh, organization called Project Forgive. I think it was nominated for a Nobel Prize some years ago. I mean, she didn't mm-hmm. get it. But one of the quotes, and she refined it, so it's, I don't think it's completely hers. But she said, forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. Mm. Wow. I told you it's a wow. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and I'll just share this with you, and then we can uh, then then we can to be continued. <laughs> so when she said that to me, I went wow. And I thought of my dad, who died in 1995. Mm. I love my dad, but you know he was he, he might have been a little bit on the spectrum, and mm-hmm. you know, always worried about supporting his family. So I don't think he and my brothers and I my brothers and I were not that close to him. Mm. And I remember there, and part of the reason we weren't is I remember there was one thing, uh, there were a couple of things that he would say. So he was always worried about supporting us. And uh, if we wanted something, you know, and he'd worry about the money, he'd say, what do you need it for? Mm. And then we'd, okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah. And so, you know, almost anything we'd want is, what do you need it for? Oh, sorry. But the apology I imagined him giving me that I never received is, you know, Mark, remember when I used to say, what do you need it for? I was always worried about supporting the family. Mm. And I was proud. And I wanted to be as good as the dads next door. And I wanted to believe that I got you what you needed. Because mm. I wanted to believe that I was an okay dad. And he was more than okay. Yeah. And I think I used to say that because I wanted to be able to say to myself, I take care of my family and I get them what they need. Yeah. And I wish I wasn't worried about supporting the family because I would have loved to not only get you what you need, I would have loved to get you what you wanted. Mm. Because you were great kids. Mm. And you not only deserve what you need, you know, roof over your head and whatnot, food. But you deserve what you wanted. Mm. And I'm so sorry that I, that was my way of saying it. And I apologize because I wish I had said to you, I would have loved to have gotten you what you not just needed, but what you wanted. Because yeah. you, you were terrific kids. Yeah. So I would share that as a closing comment. Forgiveness is accepting the apology you'll never receive. And it's not for their benefit, it's for your benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mark. This was awesome. I I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I know my listeners are going to enjoy it as well. Super insightful. and And I hope to have you on the show in the future again. Well, you know, if they want me back, you'll have me back. I uh, do remember how wonderful our first conversation was. And uh, you had me at hello. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Mark. I hope that you got a lot out of this episode. And I hope that you took down some notes because I surely did. 
If you want to hear more from Mark, make sure you check out his website at www.markgolston.com or if you want to check him out on social media, Twitter and Instagram, his handle is at Mark Golston. I'll be leaving those details in the show notes and also check out his podcast, My Wake Up Call. Till next time, peace and love always, always, always. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to rate and review this podcast. And if you're truly loving this podcast, I suggest you follow us on Instagram at a word to the wise pod. Also, if you have any suggestions about episodes or things you'd like me to discuss on the podcast, please feel free to email a word to the wise pod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.